Take your Bible, please, and turn to the book of Galatians in the New chapter, uh, New, New Testament, Galatians chapter 1. That's our passage today. We'll be looking in Galatians chapter 1. Here's the key concept for today. You do not need to add anything to the grace of God. Galatians chapter 1. As I said, today we start a series that will take us through this letter that Paul wrote to the churches in Galatia. And as Paul writes this letter, while you're finding Galatians chapter 1, I want you to know that he has a laser focus. Paul writes this letter to counter the idea that Christians have to follow the Jewish law as well as experience the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in order to be saved. He's going to stress the fact that the work of God that brings about salvation among His people is all of grace, and it's all of God. He writes this letter in approximately the year A.D. 48. Now, 15 years after this, he will pen another letter. This letter will go to the other end of the nation that we now call Turkey and go to the city of Ephesus. And in Ephesians, he writes these words, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. He writes those words 15 years after he writes the book we're going to look at today. But those words could have been the summary statement for the, the letter to the Galatians. Paul is remarkably consistent over the years of his ministry and his writings. Paul could be flexible on many things. When he writes to the Corinthians, he says, I become all things to all people in order, to, in order that some might be saved. In other words, he says, I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm willing to get out of my comfort zone. I'm willing to try new things to reach people, all people, for the gospel of Jesus Christ. But when it comes to the basic truth of that gospel, it is saved by grace through faith. That is it. There is no room for flexibility on that point. That's the bottom line. Galatians is a bottom line letter. Galatians is a passionate letter. It's an emotional letter. It's the kind of letter that you write someone when somebody you love is blowing it big time and you're concerned for their well-being. One author describes uh, Paul's style as he writes Galatians as compassionate rage. Compassionate rage is when you, what you feel when someone you love is making bad choices. The compassion is there because you love them, but the rage is there towards what is hurting them. And we see that in Paul's writing. So we'll pick up the reading. We're going to read verses 1 and 2 and then verses 6 and 7. You follow along. It says this, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men or by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers with me. Verse 6, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. Those are strong words because Paul has strong feelings about what he's saying. So let's come to know the situation of this writing. Galatians, the Galatians as a people, are the people who Paul met during his first missionary journey. 
in, in an area of the world that we now call Turkey, specifically southern Turkey. He met them in A.D. 47. And in the years, you see, since Jesus was crucified, the Romans and the Jew Jewish leaders hoped that they had finally heard the last of this rabbi from Galilee. But the movement of the followers of Jesus Christ would not go away. And so powerful was the message of hope and salvation in Jesus Christ that the chief persecutor of the Christians had switched sides and now become a convert. Saul of Tarsus, now calling himself Paul by his Roman name, but more than a convert, he's an apostle called to spread the message of hope to the portions of the world that hadn't heard about it yet, the portions in the Roman Empire. So, 17 years or so after the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we see Paul on Gentile soil. But he begins his ministry in, with a group of Jews in a synagogue in a city named Antioch in an area called Pisidia, Pisidian Antioch, now Turkey, and he has this message for them. He says, therefore, my brothers, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is justified from everything you could not be justified from by the law of Moses. Those are some of the very first words that are recorded out of the Apostle Paul. And he's speaking to the people of Galatia. And he says right in the beginning of his ministry, everyone who believes is justified. Now, so mind-blowing was that message that one week later, Luke tells us in Acts 13 and 14, that's the, the area where Paul's in Galatia, Luke tells us that the whole town of Antioch and Pisidia came out to hear what Paul had to say the next week. And right from the start, he was very clear, salvation is not a matter of following the law. Forgiveness is not about performance. And now he has returned from that first missionary journey. He's back in his, at his sending church, and he's forced to make the same point again, only this time in a letter that he sends back to this area. This, meant, this letter is meant to be circulated among the churches and among the people that Paul and Barnabas personally brought to faith through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so this letter is going to be circulated through the cities of Antioch, Derby, Lystra, Iconium, Lyconia, those cities that are mentioned in that section of the book of Acts. And these were outposts for the gospel. And the gospel there was hard won. Paul had to battle illness. He had to battle rejection. He had to battle persecution. And at one point being left for dead on the side of the road so that these people will come to know Christ as Savior. And when they left, however, Paul and Barnabas left that area, the gospel had taken root. Men and women, boys and girls had said yes to Jesus Christ. And now he writes back to them from Antioch in Syria because a rumor had come his way. And the rumor was that almost immediately after he left that area, other teachers had arrived and started to undo the good work that Paul had done. In other words, there's now bad news about the good news. And these false teachers we have come to call Judaizers. We call them that because their influence, their teaching was that in order to be a Christian, you need first to come under the Jewish law. In other words, they were saying to the Gentiles, hold on, Gentiles, 
you don't get to jump the line. You have to follow the same pathway that we followed when we came to recognize Jesus as the Messiah. The Jews who recognized Jesus as their Messiah did so after a lifetime of following the laws, keeping the traditions, keeping kosher, practicing the rituals, and for the males, getting circumcised. So in the mind of these false teachers, that's the pathway that the Gentiles have to travel as well. You have to, in a sense, become a Jew, become like the Jew, and then you can become a follower of Jesus Christ. First follow the rules, then follow Christ. Probably they're saying something like this. You know, sure, Paul's message is correct as far as it goes, but does it go far enough? You see, the implication is that they're going to fill in what Paul's message lacked, and they're going to take the Galatian Christians to a whole new level of understanding. You have to be willing to obey the law. But that's not the gospel of grace. In fact, Paul says that's not the gospel at all. It is what we might call gospel plus. And gospel plus is false gospel. It is legalism. If you're saved, you say, well, I'm saved by the gospel plus the sacraments, false gospel. I'm saved by the gospel plus meritorious work, false gospel. I'm saved by the gospel plus ritual that I go through, that's false gospel. Gospel plus is false. I'm saved by the gospel plus punishing my body and restricting my behavior, false gospel. And this is the issue that Paul faces as he hears the rumor from Galatia. It's exactly the issue that they're going to address in A.D. 50, yet to come in the, uh, in the uh, Jerusalem council that's recorded in Acts 15. There they ask the question, do Gentiles need to, in a sense, become a Jew first and then follow Jesus? And the ruling of that council is decidedly no. You are saved by grace through faith not of works. Now, that official ruling is yet to come. This letter, Galatians, is written prior to that council. And if that is correct, and I think that it is date-wise, it means that the words we read in the book of Galatians, particularly chapter 1, this is the very first thing written by the Apostle Paul that the Holy Spirit has retained for us. The very first words of what will become the New Testament. And it is the foundational teaching of everything that will follow. By grace, through faith, you are saved. Now, the teachers that have followed Paul's footsteps think that Paul is making it all too easy for these Gentiles to come to faith. We can imagine their thinking something like this. Where did these former pagans think that they get, can get off being saved without doing all the hard work that we put in? How can they just slide into the kingdom of God? And so they came up with this gospel plus message. And it's a message that still traps many today, that you must merit your salvation by earning it, earning your way before a position before God. And every generation deals with this sort of teaching, grace plus, gospel plus. It may be grace plus tithing, or grace plus daily devotions, or grace plus baptism. That's how you get right with God. Or the and, the plus, might be something you don't do, right? 
grace and avoiding all these worldly things. You got to make sure you avoid those things. Grace plus in order to be saved. One author writes it this way. If you pray every moment of your life, you could not pray enough prayers to earn acceptance with God. If you gave every penny of every dollar you ever earned in every job you ever had, you could not give enough to earn acceptance with God. If you gave yourself to unbroken, moment-by-moment life of ministry, you still could never earn God's favor. The fact is this. Sin is a bigger disaster than we think, and grace is more amazing than we seem to be able to grasp. So why is grace plus so attractive generation after generation? It is because it allows us to focus on the tangible, the trackable. It allows us to watch the observable, to see how we are achieving, and to make comparisons. It's a very human thing to do. It's a very human thought to think that I must do something to get God to love me. But the truth is, He already loves you. Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates His love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God will never love you less. God will never love you more. He loves you totally through and through. But those words in Romans 5, 8 were not written yet. The Galatian Christians don't have Romans to read. And so Paul writes this first letter with compassionate rage, and he says the cross of Christ is the only way for a person to get right with God. Do not add anything else to the gospel. God's grace saves you as you turn to Him in faith. Verse 6 I'm astonished that you're quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is no gospel at all. Paul is strong on this point because falsehood will hurt you. Falsehood will hurt you. Have you looked at a Tylenol container lately or an Advil container? If you were to do that, go home, look in your medicine cabinet, take out that, that, uh, those jars, and you'll see, you'll see a child-proof cap. And underneath that child-proof cap, you'll still see a cellophane protective layer at the top of that bottle. And there's a reason for that. And the reason is back in the early 1980s in Elgin, Illinois, someone walked into a convenience store, bought a, a, a jar of extra-strength Tylenol capsules that they marketed at that time. They took those capsules for a headache that they had, and they were found dead the next day. The autopsy of that dead body revealed that that person had been poisoned, and a rash of poisonings and deaths started breaking out in that region. Someone was taking Tylenol capsules off of the store shelves, opening those capsules up, replacing them with potassium cyanide, and putting those jars back on the store shelves. And people were dying. False medicine there was a poison, and random deaths were the result. And so what was called for was tamper-proof packaging. That was required, and that is why you have such a hard time opening up your medicine today. Because falsehoods will harm you. That was physical poison. But the gospel plus teaching is spiritual poison. And eternity hangs in the balance. 
So you ask yourself, well, how is it that these Judaizers are able to be so influential to the Galatian Christians? I mean, they just had the Apostle Paul's direct teaching. Well, in order to discredit the teaching of the Apostle Paul, they have to discredit Paul himself. So we see part of what happens in the letter to the Galatians is Paul spends some time defending his own reputation. Look at verse 11 of chapter 1. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preach is not something man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. This is the response to the way his reputation is being smeared. Recognize that in these letters, we're only getting one side of a conversation. And he's writing to defend himself and his own reputation. He says, I am an apostle sent by Christ. My message is the message of Christ. I'm not sent by a committee. I'm not, I was not made an apostle by some group of persons, but rather by Christ himself. He sent me. The Judaizers are saying, something that we can infer from verse 10 are saying something like, well, in order to gain acceptance from people, in order to be liked and to be received well, what Paul is doing is he's watering down the real message. He's watering down. He's taking away the hard edges. And now we, poor us, are left to be the people who have the dubious task of really teaching you how you have to be saved. And Paul says, no, that's not it at all. This is the whole gospel. And this gospel of Jesus Christ, the grace that he has waiting for us, has so transformed my life that I am a living testament to the fact that this is all you need to, to experience the mercy of God. Verse 13, for you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. Paul saying, I used to be the enemy of this message. I used to be the enemy of those who believed the message of hope in Jesus Christ. But Jesus himself came to me, and the love and the mercy of Jesus broke through to me. I did not have to earn it. I simply had to trust it. And when I trust, grace came my way, and it turned my life around. Jesus himself, he says, called me to preach. So in this first chapter... The Apostle Paul seeks to stop the Judaizers who are influencing the Galatians away from a very simple gospel. And to do this, he's reminding these Galatians of the faith journey that he himself has been on. He's saying, listen, I was at one point more legalistic than these guys will ever be. But Jesus turned me around because of his love and mercy. And he's doing all of this with a sense of passion because it's the core issue where the New Testament starts. How is a person saved? Is it partly by works or partly by faith? Or is salvation a gracious offer from God to those who will say yes? Grace alone, faith alone. And he simply reminded them of the message that he had when he was with them that Luke records for us in Acts 13. Therefore, my brothers, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is justified from everything you could not be justified from by the law of Moses. If you go to verse 8, 
of chapter 1 of the book of Galatians, Paul says this, even if an angel ends, uh, uh, is at your doorstep telling you something different, and these people are no angels, even if an angel shows up and tells you different, you must cling to this truth. He writes it with compassionate rage. And it's a good thing that he does. Because I try to imagine what the first century movement called Christianity would have been like if Paul had not written this urgent letter and had not clarified the fact that you are saved by grace through faith. And that alone is the work of Jesus Christ. If Paul had not advocated so strongly in this letter for the simple gospel of salvation, I wonder if there would be a Christian church today. I wonder if the Christian, Christian movement wouldn't have been swallowed up with the customs of Judaism and never expanded into the Gentile world. But this first letter from the pen of the Apostle Paul emphasizes grace is waiting for you. Salvation is the loving work of God towards us, not our efforts towards Him. You can't demand it. You can't earn it. But it's a gift that God is willing and waiting to give to all who will turn to Him. Grace is humbling. It points out our need and our inability to meet that need. Grace is freeing. It frees us from the posture of trying to earn something that we will never be able to acquire. Grace stops us from trying to do the impossible. You can't save yourself. Grace is the rescue of sinners, and legalism is the religion of bondage, catching us up in efforts that will never be enough. So as we step away from the first chapter of the book of Galatians, what are the lessons we gain? Lesson number one, reject any grace plus version of the gospel. Salvation is available in Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone. That is it. That's the gospel. Number two, expect that the gospel of hope will change your life. The example of the Apostle Paul himself, it's a 180-degree turnaround, salvation in Jesus. Why? Because it's experiential. It's not theoretical. The kind of belief we're talking about here is a heart-level commitment to Jesus, calling out in repentance for His forgiveness. And that changes us on the inside. It's not just mumbling a prayer and hoping for the best. No. It will radically transform you when the Holy Spirit takes hold of your life through salvation. When we turn to Jesus, He recreates us. We are new people in Christ. Thirdly, we should know how to explain the hope that we have. Paul says that when he, when he came to Christ, he knew he had a purpose. He had a mission. He had a calling to spread the message of hope. And reality, no matter what circumstances you're in in life, no matter your gifts or your talents or your interests, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are part of that same work, spreading the hope of the message of grace. So we, each of us, need to be able to tell our story to put into words what Christ has done for us, how He changed us, what's new, what's different, and who we are in Him. Paul was able to do that and so could show the Galatians, this is how grace worked in my life. Can you tell your story? We need to be able to do that. Take some time to write it down, write it out, and God will use it. 
But fourthly, for all of us, we need to be ready to begin at the beginning. And what's the beginning? The beginning is to decide to turn to Jesus in faith, to repent of sin and ask for His forgiving mercy. And as you ask for that, grace flows your way, and with it, the forgiveness of sin and the promise of new life. I wonder if you've done that. I wonder if there's somebody here in this room right now or watching me online who is saying, you know, I've never really done that. I've been trying to do good things, go to church, do the things that a good Christian should do, but I've not really began at the beginning. That's the beginning. And maybe some of you need to start there right now. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And you at home enter into an attitude of prayer? Because if you're saying in your heart, you know, I'm not sure I've ever done that, but I'm ready to do it now, that's because the Holy Spirit is touching you. It's the extension of faith in what Jesus has done. And you express that in a prayer. So I'm going to help you do that. Because if you'd like to make it right with God right now, you pray along with me these words. Silently in your heart, the Lord will hear. Lord Jesus, I need you. I want to start right now a walk of faith. I repent of my sin. I believe you can forgive me because you died on the cross in my place. Apply grace to me. Make me your child. Lord, I don't know if there's anybody here who prayed a prayer like that right now. These are not magic words. These are words that express the desire of our heart. Or maybe someone sitting at home in their living room or in their kitchen expressing the desire of their heart. But Lord, I know that you want us to do this. This is the beginning of the walk. And Lord, if there are those who have said yes in this way, I pray your blessing on them. I pray that they would know that things are new. On the inside out, they're beginning to be changed. And I pray, Lord, that they would have assurance that grace is the source of their salvation. Your grace, your activity, not of us. So thank you, Lord. And for all of us who are trying to walk this journey of faith, we thank you that we do so bathed in mercy, grace, and hope. And we look to you to help us as we seek to represent you well. In Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen.